People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Trisha and I are thrilled because we have someone very special in our podcast today. Somebody we work with, somebody we admire, and his name is Charlie Burney. Charlie Burney is co-founder and president of Podville Media, headquartered in Washington, D.C. He and a talented team of creatives produce award-winning media for global brands and national and international not-for-profits. An established entrepreneur, Charlie has several books in production, is an avid musician and sketch artist, and has written a wonderful new book called The Tao of Podcasting. So, Charlie, welcome to Health Gig. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely thrilled. Yes, Charlie, we are so excited you're with us today. Long-awaited conversation for sure. <laughs> and we have so much to talk about, but we want to start with a little bit about you, Charlie. You're a native Washingtonian, which is sort of rare, and how you got into podcasting and tell everyone your connection with us and all of that. Dora, one thing that's a little weird is I'm a fourth-generation native Washingtonian, so I find that's kind of rare. I live in Bethesda, and I'm proud to do that, but love my Washington heritage, and my parents were very proud to be Washingtonians. So I did grow up here. I spent about 25-plus years in real estate. If anyone listening has played Queenstown Harbor, I helped get the permits for Queenstown Harbor Golf Course in Maryland, and our company developed that property and managed it and still run uh, Queenstown Harbor and South River today. So we've done all sorts of things, and that's part of my story. My father, who I was very proud to work with for 19 years, wasn't constrained into one lane and always felt that with the right support and the right tool for the right job, as he would say, he wasn't afraid to try businesses and different things. So we were in the marina business. We ran a motel. We developed golf courses. He was a lawyer. We ran some commercial real estate as well. So that's something that after my time in the real estate industry, I felt that I could try other things as well. And podcasting came up to really get to the meat of your question. Podcasting came up very naturally. I was doing some work in a co-working place. And remember when co-working came up about nine or 10 or 11 years ago, it was very new. And as someone who managed real estate for many years, I was very dubious about co-working, how this would fit into the established real estate structure. But I had a chance to get an office in a co-working environment and thought one day with a friend of mine who was doing marketing for that space, Launch Coworking, shout out to Launch Coworking, Launch Workplaces, and said, why don't we do a podcast? Because he'd gotten me listening. So podcasting for me started with being a listener first, just as on Twitter, I stalked for a few years before I ever made it my first tweet. <laughs> and I thought, well, why don't we do a podcast, naively thinking I had all the equipment, and interview all the people in the coworking space, because that would be pretty interesting, and they can put it up on their weekly newsletter. And that's really how it started. I did not have all the equipment. I had to buy a Behringer 4 track because I thought I had enough to do it as an amateur musician with a PA system and watched a lot of videos. Ray Ortega and several other people who taught how to do it back in the early days, say nine years ago. And I just got in, as I call it, falling forward and thought this is going to be a really important way for us to communicate also want to pay a little bit of homage, if I can, to my mom, who in the 70s 
and 80s did work up by where the Sears building used to be on Wisconsin Avenue for recording for the blind and dyslexic. And here was my mother, who I never thought she could do this, running the studio and doing readings of textbooks for blind people. I often think of that after I wrote the book, after I got into this, as one of the things that guided me forward into podcasting because of the example that my mom set for me. So I was doing podcasting and launch workplaces in Gaithersburg, Maryland, trying to figure out how to make this all work. And then, of course, I followed the Mike O'Mara show. I followed Oscar Zabios, and he ended up going to the Smith School of Business. We'd done some real estate with Smith, so I said, that's fascinating, and I listened to the show. And one day, he did an outreach group. If anybody's interested in talking about this, come on down to the Reagan building and go to this outreach group. And I volunteered, and that's how it all started, the partnership with Oscar. And it just built from there. He looked at me and said, you're asking some of the right questions. I don't want to paraphrase what Oscar would say. And we got together and we had a few lunches and talked about podcasting. And he said to me, if you ever want a partner, I'd like to be your first phone call. And that's the short version. I can go much longer. That's the short version of how it all started. (laughs) And this has all led to some amazing relationships and to this book that we're talking about today. And you said to pronounce it properly. It's Tao. Taoism is the ancient sort of Chinese philosophy. It's not a religion. It's a philosophy. I have many times read their basic text, which is the Tao Te Ching. My brother Rod, big shout out to my brother Rod, who is the middle of three boys. We were talking about boys just a few minutes ago. Rod had a very interesting journey in his life. He started out and when we were in high school. If anyone remembers TM, Transcendental Meditation. And Rod did Transcendental Meditation and meditation in general. He he wanted to get taller, so he hung from the door frames and did all these things. That's led on a wonderful journey. He is now a doctor of psychiatry and a Sufi priest. I attended his ordination as a Sufi priest, and I could go on for so long about the journey and the things that I've learned from my brother about life and philosophy and the way we look at things. To get to the answer to your question, he had some books on Taoism and, of course, read the great Alan Watts, maybe the most famous American Taoist, The Watercourse Way, and some of his other books, which I stole from him in high school. And that's inside the front cover of the book because it says Rod Burney on the inside cover of The Watercourse Way. I still have his book, so I dedicated the Tao of podcasting to Rod. What this book is, it came out of a doodle, speaking about one of your recent episodes, Drawing and Doodling, and another George Bush who started doodling, according to that episode. I was doodling during our quarantine in a Field Notes journal, and I wrote The Tao of Podcasting, and I quickly drew a microphone with a yin-yang symbol in the middle. That was the start of it. I love encouraging people to take note of just random ideas. It's one of my favorite things to do, and just keep a notebook in your pocket. Do it on your phone isn't quite as fun. And so I wrote The Tao of Podcasting. And then I was rereading some books during the time we all spent home, and I reread part of The Tao Te Ching and part of The Watercourse Way. And I said, you know, what if I tried to interpret a verse of The Tao Te Ching? And I have three or four or five different translations of The Tao Te Ching. There's a new one, by the way, by the author of The Tao of Pooh, that's Winnie the Pooh, Benjamin Hoff, who has done his own translation of The Tao Te Ching. And The Tao Te Ching is, let's see if I got this right, 81 verses that were written by the Taoist master Lao Tzu as he was leaving China, fed up with the bureaucracy, and headed to the wastelands. One of his students said, Master, don't leave until we've heard you've written down some of your teachings. So in Chinese calligraphy and brushstroke, he wrote the 81 verses or chapters of the Tao Te Ching. And I had several copies in my little Taoist bookshelf of 
people who had interpreted the Tao Te Ching into their platform, the Tao of Inner Peace by Diane Dreher, the Tao of Leadership by John Hyder. Some just talk about Taoism, and some took the 81 verses and tried to interpret them into their topic. And it seemed to me, I think one afternoon after I drew the doodle, I just tried to interpret a verse. And it didn't sound so bad. And then I did another, and then I did another, and that's how it started. Then my daughter went to a class in Colorado on musical instrument repair. She's majored in music education. And I took her out and spent some time with her in Colorado and just finished the book. There were a lot of more finishing after that. And then somehow, you all both know that I do like to doodle. I've been drawing podcasting for a long time. Somehow, in the process of finalizing the book, I decided to use the illustrations in lieu of the Chinese calligraphy. In books about Taoism, there's often several pages or many pages of Chinese calligraphy of the Tao Te Ching that are included to sort of show what, again, what Alan Watts called the watercourse way and how this is flowing with nature. And I thought, well... Maybe I could include the sketches. I had no idea that I had well over 100, and maybe that will tell a little other story about my podcasting journey. That's so neat, Charlie. So tell us some of your favorite Tao of Ching verses. The very first verse was the sort of most, for all the Taoist fans out there, the most inscrutable for me, because it talks without really saying anything. It all sort of goes back and forth between being understandable and arcane. So the first verse of the Tao Te Ching that most people know is, the way that can be told is not the eternal way. And this was a difficult one for me to interpret. And just a word about interpreting and rereading. I love rereading the Tao Te Ching when I was getting at the final stages of this, I read the Tao of Pooh aloud to my mother. Yes, because you told she us asked that. about, you know, what are you doing, Charlie? My mom's 93 and doing very well. And I thought, well, what if I tried to read this? Because I could remember her reading Winnie the Pooh in the house at Pooh Corner to me. I can still hear it in my ears today. And I got a deeper understanding of that book that I'd read many times by reading it aloud. There's something about reading aloud that has a value beyond just reading. As I was trying to interpret these, something else happened, and you get a different understanding when you're trying to put something like this into your own work. So the first verse I'll read, the podcast that can be heard is not the eternal podcast, the eternal story. Again, a little arcane. The journey of communicating and sharing lessons does not end. It is a path of learning and improving. Enjoy the process as well as the finished podcast. Build a narrative practice the craft, strive for the absolute best, knowing that you are always learning as you talk and tell and listen and wonder. I'm trying to get the podcast community, not just the engineers, the hosts, the guests, but also the listeners to take one moment of pause. I call it the silence before the sound, before we start, to remember, just as you say in your beautiful meditation story, just to remember to enjoy, to relax, and remember that before there's all the talk, there's a quiet studio. It's kind of the yin and yang of podcasting. Wow. This is such a, this is so much more than what you would think when you pick up this book, Charlie. So it's fascinating. Yeah, really fascinating. Just, just to go back very quickly. So what, what is a Sufi priest? Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm just stuck on that. And I thought before we get into the book, (laughs) maybe I better not send this to Rod because he's always frustrated when I try to describe Sufism because I do it too quickly. And he's like, you can't do it that quickly. So Rod, if, if you're listening to this, I absolutely love you. The easiest way to describe Sufism from Charlie, 
and I haven't done as much reading about Sufism as I have about Taoism, is it's much older than Taoism. And today, for me, it tries to bring together all the love tenets shared by all religions. So as an example of what I'm trying to say, at Rod's ordination, at which there was a Catholic nun ordained as a Sufi priest also, because you can do that, at his ordination and also his Sufi wedding, you have a bench in the front of the room, uh, an altar, but it's not an altar, where they have, I hope I'm getting this right, Rod, seven texts, sacred texts, the Torah, the Talmud, there's an established five that are up there. And then the last two are optional, because we're not set in anything. We're just trying to find the shared beliefs about love. I mean, the Sufi symbol is a heart. Um, And so when I'm present, he tends to have the Tao Te Ching on this table, or sometimes it's American Indian writings. So I find it an absolutely beautiful practice. Yes. Um, And if you start to look at it and pick into it, there are many different philosophies and religions that have what I'm calling the love tenet, which is about respecting, loving your fellow man, et cetera, that really are rich. And if you tie them all together, in my opinion, it makes an enormous amount of sense. So obviously, I really respect my brother's journey. He went, you know, he shopped. He worked around until he found what he really, truly, sincerely believed in. He's made a career out of, you know, that. And I love that it has the theme that all are welcome. Everyone can enter in. Exactly. But, Charlie, where in the heck did this interest in your family come from in the spiritual life? (laughs) You know, because you have it, your brother has it. Well, I think we're the only two. (laughs) You're you're very funny. When my twins, I have uh, 23-year-old twins, my daughter Isabel and my son Diane, when they were christened, I had my brother Rod do a Sufi blessing, because there's not really a christening in Sufism, but I would have no one else but my brother Rod. And it was at the little sanctuary at St. Albans, and my father was an Episcopalian, is an Episcopalian, and we were raised Episcopalian, and he made sure that Will Bellow was in the room, and he said, just make sure you splash some water on them, which to me is very telling about how my father felt. He was a little disdainful of Rod and his Sufism. And I knew when he was getting ordained that Alice, my wife, and I went to the ordination because I knew no one else in the family would go. Certainly not my mother and father. They just didn't quite understand. Sorry, Mom. He's the middle son. We were talking about three sons. It really came from Rod's inquisitive mind. He's really brilliant, was a Phi Beta Kappa at Skidmore University. And he just searched for more meaning from high school, from middle school. And as I say, he started with transcendental meditation. He started meditating when we were in high school, when he was in high school. I'm four years younger. And that was just a path that he went on to try and figure out what made sense. I'll be very straightforward. He knew he wasn't satisfied with regular old Episcopalianism and Christianity. He knew that he thought there was more. I believe he was right, and it certainly has worked very, very well for him. So it really came out of Rod. So the chapters in the book, Mm -hmm. The Tao of Podcasting, follow the book that you told us about on Taoism, right? Yes, The Tao Te Ching is 81 verses, and I sat down to interpret the 81 verse. I wrote a little more in the beginning to describe Taoism and sort of how the connection works. I think I'm the first person to connect Taoism and podcasting. I think you are. <laughs> oh, and it's fascinating. <laughs> so start with chapter one then. Can mm-hmm. you tell us, just explain the way of story? I'd actually written a book on podcasting with one of our former clients, Hilda Gore. Hi, Hilda 
called Podcasting Made Simple. And the interesting thing about writing something technical is that the technology changes. The hardware and the software change. The Roadcaster Pro came out about a month after we published our book, and that made at least one of the chapters that I wrote completely invalid because you didn't need to go to all that trouble anymore. I wanted to write what we call in podcasting a book that was evergreen. And the one thing I think as I attend conferences and I went to Podfest Expo in January this year, first conference in three years, there is a lot of talk, a lot of instruction about AI now, of course, about the technical aspects, the newest hardware, et cetera. And I thought it was time for us because I've been listening to Doro's meditations, to other meditations, to try to be more mindful and try to slow down this life as we get a little past perhaps my prime. I want to be able to make sure that I can add to that body of work, Doro, specifically, and give this community, which is very frenetic, which is very busy at times and very technically minded, and we're worried about the cables, we're worried about the right microphones. When I partnered with Oscar as an aside and came in and spoke on one of these exact microphones, I hit my hand to my head and I said, oh my gosh. Why didn't I spend a couple hundred dollars on a nice microphone four years ago? And so we're always learning, and that's what I'm trying to do. The Tao Te Ching for me, Trish and Doro, is something that has always been a source of comfort. If I'm frustrated or low, I can sit down and open it at any place, read a chapter and try to make sense of it, and then move on with your life, just as a good book of poetry. And I would see my father do that with the best love poems of the American people. He would just open it, read a poem, and move on. He could recite poetry till the very end. It was extraordinary. That's the goal, is to try to give us a chance, just a brief moment of reflection. Beautiful. And, and it comes from love. Taoism at its core really comes from what I think is called naturalism, which is looking at nature and the world around us. Alan Watt's book was called The Watercourse Way. The Grand Canyon was carved by water, etc. We don't go through a rock, we go around it. The naturalism in the world is very important, and we tend to butt up against things in this world we live and rush, 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 and pell-mell into the great unknown. I think it's okay to cross that bridge when we get to it, to think of things in a more naturalist way. And that's what I'm trying to say in this busy, busy world of communication, of politics, of upheaval, of the market, to be able to take a moment and pause and go, okay, I want to communicate with you. Adrian Hand, who worked on the book publishing with me, we often called it the art of communication. And when I was first podcasting out in Gaithersburg, I called it the podcast a cocktail for the ear because we really wanted to respect the listener and the listening experience. Oh, speaking of listener, and probably my favorite chapter in the book <laughs> is chapter 17. Did we explain to the listeners how there is this layer of art over it? I know you talked about the sketching, but just actually each chapter has a sketch, right? Associated yes. with the theme of that chapter, yes. which goes back in this one that we're talking about is the listener, which is amazing that the way you describe it and the importance of somebody doing a podcast listening, right? And how listening to each other is an act of love. Sorry, I'm hung up on that, but it really is. I really appreciate your mentioning that. That goes back to a story I learned in another industry with my father many years ago. We went into a restaurant that we ran for a few years, never going to get in the restaurant business if I can possibly avoid it. But we had had complaints about the quality of the steak. Now, I'm not a heavy meat eater, but my father was. He liked it, in his words, extraordinarily well done, which is, of course, not the right way, I guess. But it turned out, long story shorter, that the cook was a vegetarian and had never eaten meat. And so it didn't taste good because he didn't know how to prepare steak. And we thought, shame on us and shame on you. I just want to say that in way of 
don't forget about the listener. I remember in the beginning when I was podcasting, trying to figure out how to plug the microphones in and trying to get an interview in for launch newsletter. And I just did the job in the very beginning and didn't think so much, to be honest with you, about the listener. I think it's important not to forget the listener and the listening experience. That's what we're here for. I want to get my story to you as quickly as I can, but I want to make something that's interesting to listen to. I think that's tremendously important, and I think part of my message in this book, Tricia, is let's not forget about that side of the microphone, that yin and yang of this process of the communication story and how we're doing this, not for the three of us, but for the people out there who might be hopefully intrigued. Listening is a theme throughout the book. You talk about improve so. your listening. Yeah. And I talk about engaged listening. Engaged because, listening. Of course, as host, it, you are, and as guest that I am today, we would love comments. We want engaged listening. So I practice on my end as a listener. I often call myself the chief listening officer of Podville Media. How do we become better listeners? Well, when we hear something really moving, I often listen to Damon Davis's podcast, Who Am I Really?, which is about adoptees. These are tremendously moving stories. I remember several years ago, I was listening to a driving home. I was on Wisconsin Avenue, and I had to pull over because I was crying. They're sometimes very moving stories. And I wanted to stop then, take the time to send him a message. I think I also tweeted at him because as a podcaster, he would want to tweet rather than just a direct message because that helps his brand and say how moved I was by this incredibly unique story. I'm not an adoptee, but I helped Damon set up his studio many, many years ago, just one or two wires. And so I follow him and he's become a wonderful friend. And I believe strongly in his message of sharing these stories, these adoptee stories. So I talk about engaged listening. You get so much more out of life if you're a good listener. I mean, because if you do all the talking, there's no learning, there's no growing. But if you become a good listener, your life really can open up. And I think that also is complemented by the reading aloud part. I read The Lord of the Rings aloud to my children. Uh, I read The Tao of Puta Mom, and we've done a couple of other books. I'd forgotten what you get out of hearing your own voice when you talk and you're listening to yourself as well. That's why when dad was becoming a sleight of hand magician, he would spend hours in front of a mirror. I think it's important as the story of the chef, I think it's important that we listen to our own podcasts. To be honest, I know many people having just been to a conference who never listen to their own show. I would not advise that. I think it's important. You don't have to listen to all of them, but I think it's important to listen to your own show and reflect on what you brought to the table and how you can evolve your own skills. I know as an editor, back when I was doing the editing, if I listened and produced and edited all in the same day or all in the same few hours, I would do a better job editing and producing because I was more connected to that content, if that makes sense. You know, on chapter 19 is talk forward and you talk about discard your concept of a complicated process and simplify. And that's such a strong message any way you look at it. Like it's in our control to complicate things or to simplify things. And and we talk about wanting to slow things down. We talk about, oh, our life is going too fast, but it seems like the more simple things get, the less time goes by so fast. Is that right? Do you guys experience that? Absolutely. We're surrounded. I'm in the studio B here at Podville. You all are in your own home studios. We're surrounded by gear and tech and outside influences and pets and personal problems and personal victories. And I think it's important to remember what we're trying to do and to try, as you said, to simplify. And that's exactly what I was going for there. 
the picture on that page, Tricia, has nothing to do. You're very sweet. <laughs> That's your business card. <laughs> if Marvel and DC can have the multiverse, I figured I could too. So w- with all respect to the Bush family, I decided I could be the secretary of podcasting in another <laughs> universe and that I would be you know, the president's appointed secretary of podcasting. As that you would be my, be my dream job if Dr. Strange could send me to another universe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love, too, what you have on 55 is like clear your mind, forget the questions, and just start. Just another incredible message for all of us to just start and then see what happens. And don't think that you can control that. Exactly. Don't overthink it. Fall forward. When I started out, it's still up on SoundCloud. One of my very first recordings was made with three people and two microphones. Now, that sounds pretty horrible because I'm over in the corner yelling so that you can hear me. (laughs) And yet I just went ahead. We had to go ahead and start. Chris Kremitzos, who started PodFest Expo that I recently attended, wrote a book about just that called Start Ugly. And there's no reason to hold back or overthink it. I mean, we've all heard this before, overthinking it, over-strategizing it, getting lost in your own shoelaces. It's important just to move forward, feel good about it, and absolutely accept our failures like the three guys with the two microphones, which did not come across very well. But I learned something that day, get three microphones, uh, if I'd only learned to get good microphones at that time. So I do believe in that. Yeah, We had our own hurdles in our first podcast. <laughs> we were very overscripted, but we had everything. We'd go back and forth, not even listening hardly. We just had the things we wanted to say. Right. <laughs> it was so right. true. And then we would say you'd hear us whisper this is going well like we weren't even listening we I love it. Even, we're like okay I love, we're on the brand. I love it but it you learn so something from that process and what you say at the end when you have nothing to prove at all that allows you to find everything that's really yes. good so what is it that you want people to leave with reading this wonderful book and looking at your amazing artwork and learning about <laughs> the Tao of podcasting? What is it that you hope that people will get from your book? There's a, more than a few things, and I really appreciate the question, Doro. I think it would be, as a, I majored in religion and philosophy in college. That makes sense. <laughs> well, it was an interesting experience, Tricia. I called up my father one day and I said, I don't want to be a business major, and that means I'm not going to go into law, and it'll be the last of the Bernie attorneys, because there have been attorneys <laughs> for five generations. And he said, it's oh, thank God, it's a horrible profession. you got to do something else, Charlie. It was the funniest conversation we'd ever had. I'd had so much background, frankly, at high school with learning about religion and then this experience with my brother and the teachings that he had that it made so much sense. I loved the classes because they were tiny and I couldn't hide from the teacher. I might not have been a great student, but I got a lot out of religion and philosophy. I loved my professors, really enjoyed it. My college thesis was called The Tao of Sailing. You might guess that Taoism and Sailing being the watercourse way was a pretty easy paper to write, but I found it recently and it's really fun. Did you have to do a lot of sailing to prepare for the paper? No, I'm afraid not. (laughs) My father was a sailor his whole life, and my brothers and my family grew up sailing. So I met my wife being a sailing instructor at Chesapeake Sailing School in Annapolis, Maryland. Sailing came quite naturally. My favorite times were teaching it on a small lake in Maine called Great Pond, if you know the Waterville area, which I'm sure you probably do. I was a camper and a counselor, and I two wonderful summers teaching sailing to young men. So that came quite naturally. And writing a paper, The Tao of Sailing, I should put it online sometime because it's okay. 
I drew the illustrations in that one because I was drawing boats going around buoys and navigating with the water instead of, if you will, on a powerboat against the water. It just came naturally for me. How long did that take you to write? Not too long. I was so, it was the paper that I enjoyed so much that I could still be writing it. I had all the books. I'd read all the backup books. It was just a matter of putting it together, the longest bibliography that I'd ever had on any college paper. And in the back of the Tao of Podcasting, you'll see quite a long list of books on Taoism that yes. I've collected over the years. And I'm very proud that I have on my Taoist bookshelf. If anyone is listening, though, and would like, let me talk about takeaways then to get back to your question. Yes. I think the easiest book to read and the most fun about Taoism is the Tao of Pooh. Benjamin Hoff also wrote The Day of Piglet, the Tao Te Ching. That's sort of the way of Piglet, the way of virtue. They are wonderfully expressed. If you haven't read the Tao of Pooh, it's charming, it's delightful, and it does explain it in terms of Winnie the Pooh. It's a kind of book you wish you had written. He's also done, just about a year ago, I was in a bookstore, and I saw Benjamin Hoff had written a translation from the calligraphy of his own of the Tao Te Ching. I believe it's called The Tao is Eternal. I didn't bring it in today. It's quite large. And he wrote extensive notes. What's exciting about this from my studies in college is he didn't take a bunch of translations. He went back to the calligraphy and translated it and wrote pretty fascinating notes about what he felt these things meant at the time and for us today. It's a little controversial because I think some Taoist scholars don't like some of the things he wrote in the book, but that's kind of fun. I hope that what people will take away, to get back to your question again, <laughs> is interest in Taoism, which is arguably waned in the last 20 years or 30 years since I graduated from college. And the book section in Politics and Prose and other bookstores on Taoism has gotten smaller and smaller. I think it would be very healthy if people looked at some of these questions and just let their next question arise naturally. So reading the Tao Te Ching, the Tao of podcasting might make you think, well, what does that really mean? And that's what happened to me for many years of reading the Tao Te Ching. So I'd like people to become somewhat interested in Taoism and thinking about how does this fit? Does this make sense? That would be wonderful. I would love for podcasters, the hosts, the guests, the engineers, and the listeners to be able to pause and look at this. In a perfect world, you'd have it on the studio or on the table, and you'd look at a verse and then take a deep breath and get going with your own podcast. Because I'm just hoping it's a chance to recharge, just like the cat posters back in the 70s that we had, you know, hang in there, Friday's almost here. I'm hoping that the drawing and the verse will allow us to center a little bit. I hope that makes sense. No, that does. So this is a tool for all podcasters to have, and as yes. you said, to use hopefully on a daily basis, if possible. And it's certainly a book that's going to blush. help and improve Tricia and our podcasting for <laughs> Already has. And just in this discussion, I mean, I've never read The Watercourse Way, and I remember The Tao of Pooh. But yeah. I think I even just gave it out as gifts. I don't think I really read it. So I'm excited to read that and to it's learn an more. It's an easy read. You will remember, you know, the parables of Pooh when you read them when you were young. That was the book my mom read to us growing up. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah all of them. 
Which is why I think I'll like the Tao of Pooh. And Winnie the Pooh is in the public domain finally, because there were lots of interesting things that happened because he wrote the Tao of Pooh when it wasn't in the public domain. Uh, and use the Ernest Shepherd illustrations. I love Ernest Shepherd illustrations. So that was something that I used very much and read when it first came out and used very much as the basis for understanding it to me. I think it's a really helpful book. It's also really fun to remember Winnie the Pooh and the House at Pooh Corner. Those are fun stories. Yes. Uh, and if you haven't read them in a while, and when your mom's 93, you can read them to her. So yes. uh, it was really fun to I remember to do that. when my kids were little and growing up, and I'd grown up with Winnie the Pooh, and then I sort of, you know, how about a Winnie the Pooh birthday party? How about Winnie the Pooh? And they're like, oh, not really. It was more our generation. Yes. A.A. Uh, yes. Milne and Winnie yeah. the Pooh. I don't believe I read Winnie the Pooh and the other book to the children. Oh, they would often quote some of the poems from Now We Are Six, the yes. other two volumes in that, because I loved some of those poems. I thought they were just as delightful the way we think of a Dr. Seuss. I can't remember when I started, but reading them, The Lord of the Rings, and that was really, I, it's a book I love and reread, you know, once every two years, but reading it aloud, reading the Tao of Pooh aloud to my mother, it, there's something very special about that experience. Well, how do people get the book? Yeah. Good question. Because well, I appreciate a great that book. question too. <laughs> because I'm a local Washingtonian, I have the book at Politics and Prose. So unfortunately, you cannot find it on Amazon, but you can find it in store. They have three brick and mortar stores, which I actually didn't realize at first. You can also get it online through their website. So I have to be very clear about that because, of course, in this world that we live in, everyone looks on Amazon.com. They just say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll buy your book on Amazon, and I have to be careful. So in my social media posts, I always post politics and prose at the end of it because I'm trying to promote them and get people there. Well, it's a great book, and we hope everyone Thank buys you. it. And by the way, Podville Media is a great company. <laughs> And Trisha and I are so honored to be part of it. And we hope that people who consider podcasts will consider Podville Media. We can just learn a lot from the Dow podcasting, even if you're not into podcasting, but you probably listen to podcasts. So wonderful book, Charlie. Thank you both so much. Thanks for being on with us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>